When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. DNBR Draft Pod coming to you on a Friday morning presented, that's right, by High Plains Strains, the Northeastern Colorado Dispensary, providing top quality cannabis and a wide variety of products. You give them a visit, be sure to mention DNBR to take advantage of their deals. It's a gorgeous Friday in the Mile High City. It's a Yokemas day for all who observe and celebrate. I'm joined by my guys after an insane beatdown by the Raiders to the Chargers. The analytics era of coaching taking a massive beatdown yesterday. As always, joined by my guys, Jake Schwanitz, Justin Michael. Fellas, how are we doing? Justin, start us off. I'm doing good. I got my BVP jersey on. The Broncos play tomorrow for a upset potential. Um, I'm into it. And I don't know if the uh, the analytics era really did take a, a hit here because he's kind of abandoned all of his principles over the last years. So I don't know if it's really an accurate representation of what that's supposed to look like. He's just kind of all over the place. You see him hunt on fourth and short early and then he goes for it at the end like that's not following the numbers that's just i don't know i think he knows he's a a dead man walking but i'm good it's good to be back with you boys jake sir um i that's probably the most enjoyable raiders game i've ever seen in my life i'll say that um i usually don't enjoy watching them win but that was just hilarious comedy uh all those words Brandon Staley is, uh, he deserves an extension, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no doubt for life. Give him a life contract, forever a charger. Um, it's also been interesting how both Broncos and Raiders have been, done a really nice job of lessening Khalil Mack's impact, which is really hard. Uh, you know, <laughs> he still had deflected passes and hurries. But, like, if you look at total tackles and stuff, the last two games, he's been way down from what he was doing um, for the previous five. So that's been fun to see. It's been fun to watch some Broncos football. So we're going to start with some NFL talk. It's kind of that time of year where it's uh, not bad to get, get an early assessment on this draft class. That's this rookie class, rather, the 2023 draft and uh how we're feeling about these rookie of the year races guys that have popped guys that have disappointed early returns let's start on the offensive rookie of the side where j mike i think it's kind of written that cj stroud injury be damned this is his he was in the mvp conversation for a minute what an absolute phenomenal breakout season for him thus far. What can you say about that? Yeah, I mean, to do what he's been able to do after the last two, three years for that franchise is just to, I mean, it's a testament to the coaching job that's happening there, but also yes. him. I mean, he's making big plays. He's hitting all the throws. He has silenced 
any of the skeptics of, you know, Ohio State quarterback, is it going to translate? Eventually, the right guy lands. It's kind of like the Bama thing, you know, like forever. That was always the joke. Oh, but it doesn't translate. You get the right guy in the right fit. It's going to work out. And he's been awesome. I'm with you. I, I have a hard time seeing. I mean, who would even the other people be in the conversation at this point? Like Jameer Gibbs wouldn't get enough touches. If it wasn't for the early injury, Devon A-Chain had a massive case. What he was doing for that Miami offense was absolutely insane. I think fair to say my worst miss by a mile. Um, Jake loved him, didn't he? Offensive side. A-Chain or A-Chain? Yeah, coming out of Texas A&M. Yeah, I mean, he was a speedster, man. He had breakaway speed. I was concerned with how small he was. I didn't think he'd be able to run this efficiently. I think yeah. it's a fit thing, though. They get him the ball in the perfect situations. Well, it's a perfect offense, too. I mean, you have to respect so much the vertical threats of that passing game that um, his speed just translates incredibly once you kind of open things up a little bit. Uh, he's been, I mean, that early season was just insane. Uh, and I'd also say Sam Laporta has been like a really yeah. impressive guy, uh, the tight end for the Lions. Almost an upgrade on T- upgrade on TJ Hawkinson, a fellow Iowa tight end there. I got to say, that was a tough eval for me. Um, you know, he tested really well, but obviously that Iowa offense, uh, anyone who's impacted by their passing game is going to be a really hard evaluation. And that seems to have been the case for Laporta, who's just shown himself to be an absolute monster in the open field. I think more athletic than we ever really saw on the Iowa tape where he's playing in more space um, and just being granted more vertical routes and what have you. Um, Jake, other rookies that have popped for you, you know, victory laps you want to take anything on this offensive side. Um, I want to go back to Sam Laporta just because I remember watching him um, when we were going through the evaluation process last spring and just thinking like this guy's like got the most gronkish ability in this class at tight end. And we were talking about all these other guys at the top. Um, I just wish I would have stuck to my guns a bit more on that one and just really trusted what I saw because he's been amazing. Uh, How are we forgetting Puka Nakua? I mean, this guy has come out of nowhere and just, I think he's over a thousand yards. Um, last Sunday, he's like making these crazy diving catches like all over the field. He's been unbelievable. The Rams are kind of frisky. They're like deceptively back. They are not near as bad as they as we were told they were going to be this year. Not even close. They have a coach and a quarterback. I think we forget if you have those things, bro. Like it, it's it kind of... Not that it doesn't matter the rest, but you have such a higher raised floor than teams who have a bad quarterback or a bad head coach or any combination. Yeah, especially in the modern NFL, it is the key to kind of keeping the boat afloat, being able to make up for the margins in the other positions. If you have that coach and you have that quarterback and Stafford just watching him, especially in the second half of the season, he came, you know, um, he's still not a hundred percent, I don't think, but he just the way the ball comes out, the way he finds the guys, the way he's able to squeeze timing routes and tight window routes, he is no doubt, no doubt, um one of the ten best quarterbacks in the NFL. 
Pukunakua is a really interesting one because uh, I was watching a little more BYU tape towards the end of the process last year. Blake Fisher, their left tackle, was one of those guys that I was kind of catching up on after an impressive combine and kind of thought he could be a target for the Broncos. Um, and Puka just jumped off the screen, uh, his yak ability. He was such a factor. He just had a lot of injuries in college. Um, so the production wasn't always there. And, uh, you know, it, it another tough eval where the flashes were certainly there, but the resume just wasn't great. And I mean, I think get used to this happening most years in the wide receiver class where the crop is so loaded there's going to be someone who slips through the cracks just about every single year. And I mean, who knows? Maybe this season it could be one of the guys you guys were covering, you know, Xavier Weaver, Corey Horton. We'll see what decision he makes. I mean, but both those guys feel like they could be steals um, later on with how deep this wide receiver pro class promises to be in 2024. Um, generally speaking, I think the wide receiver class has netted very significant early returns um i'm pretty happy with how we analyze this wide receiver class i think we were higher than most we were saying man all these guys going outside of the top 10 mostly outside of the top 15 right um i think zay addison jsn they all dropped out of the top 15 shit i don't think anyone went in the top 20 i was like, gonna say i don't even think they went in the tw top 20 we were saying those guys uh, are gonna be steals and i think certainly with beyond. say it's proven yeah. to be true jsn went 20th overall to seattle okay. yeah so i mean Split that is pairs. technically top 20 yep um but like addison and zay flowers have been amazing you were so high on zay flowers jake uh, I love that guy. What do you think is the, like, if there's a lesson from the Zay Flowers eval, what is it? Um, <laughs> Like, don't underrate he's, what? Don't underrate dogs. Like, I, if he's 5'10", 5'9", like 180, and he's still just going up there, moss people, and just playing bigger than he is, like, then he's a player. Like, that's just what it is, and that's what I saw in him. For years, I mean, damn, I think that COVID season was um, when he really first like stood out to me at BC, and then he's just been doing it ever since. The guy is listed at 5'9", 180, but he is just makes plays. It's all it is. Contested catches, that translates. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wanting it, right? It's showing that ability after you catch the ball, the yak ability, and it's competing to beat press coverage right off the snap and it's competing for the ball. I mean, look at the differences between Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. And you saw that in the SMU and Alabama tape was like the, the one thing that Jerry was lacking was a bit of, you know, hand security and contested ball ability. And what Sutton had in spades was that. And I think it's something like Jamar chase. I've talked about a bunch of times, just how that guy competed at the end of the catch competed for the ball. Think of guys like DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams, who maybe I felt like I underrated in my early years as an analyst. And I think of Malik Neighbors, who really fits that profile to a T in this class. Dude's just like so, so, so competitive. And I've seen a little hate on Keon Coleman lately. 
And I would just warn, you know, again, you can nitpick. Maybe it's not the crispest route runner or the quickest, but that competitiveness I feel like is going to translate. I feel like there's some Cortland um, Sutton with the way that Keon Coleman can kind of attack the ball in the red zone. Big time. I mean, I like all these guys. I think Adunze is a dog going after the ball. I mean, if you're talking about Yak, Corey Horton is, is a great example of a guy that could really make an impact at the next level. I like neighbors in the open field too. I mean, they're just yeah. the freaky athletes that are coming out year after year now. It's in, it's insane, but I wouldn't any of these guys, Marvin, Lake neighbors, Keon Coleman, Adunze, like those are all top five talent players. They're not all going to go that high, obviously, but top 10 at the very least. I do hear a little more buzz about neighbors where it's like, if there wasn't Marvin Harrison Jr. in this class, we'd be talking about him as like a bona fide number one wide receiver and a pretty special like guy. Yeah. Um, in his class, Jordan Azison's the last guy I'd talk about. Interesting eval. One of the first guys from the transfer era who came off like, uh, you know, he was the best wide receiver in the country with Kenny Pickett and Pitt. Transfers to USC with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams has a good season, but he's not all world. There were several games where he just kind of seemed mediocre, right? Um, and in Minnesota, that that hasn't been an issue at all. When Justin Jefferson's been out, he's been an absolute superstar. When Justin Jefferson's been in, he's been an absolute superstar. His route running, his quickness, his ability to get open uh, has really shined through. You were you were pretty high on him as well, Jake. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all with what I've seen from him. I mean, it sucks with the Kirk Cousins thing and, you know, the quarterback situation there. We're not being able – and Justin Jefferson, too. We're just not seeing this team at its full potential. And this situation that we thought Jordan Addison was getting put into, just not what we thought it was at this point because of that. But, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, just super crisp route runner. I mean, he's another guy. This whole class was just a little undersized. Mm-hmm. But they all had these like top tier traits when it, for Jordan Addison, it was route running in hands, man. Um, he's just so crisp and clean. And it's just one of those guys that I think is going to have a great career moving forward. Let's move on to the defensive side where I don't know that it should be as open and shut as the sports books make it out to be, where Jalen Carter seems to kind of be running away with it. Uh, Will Anderson kind of had a moment there, especially in the Broncos game. Um, You know, Devon Witherspoon's been amazing, but this is a great example of why it's very hard for a cornerback to win it unless you have just outlandish interception numbers. There's some other guys to mention, but am I off on that? Should Jalen Carter be running away with this, Justin? I think he's going to. I mean, like you said, this the sports book that, Philly's success helps. Um, I do think Will Anderson had a chance to kind of close the gap there, but it somewhat looks like Houston's heading in the the wrong direction just with the injuries they have. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to have the success that he's going to need to get the spotlight unless he just puts up, you know, like Khalil Mack type numbers against uh, whoever that tackle was back in the day. He gave up like Schofield six sacks. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be Carter. I mean, he is who we thought he was. I remember, you know, people kind of nitpicking. Is he going to be a three down player? He didn't really have to be at Georgia because they were so deep. They rotated so much. I mean, if you look at his snap count, he's just been dominant. He's playing, you know, play 90 snaps if you need him to. Just a stud. 
good drafting on the Eagles. Like just, hey, this guy's a dog. I, we don't necessarily need it, but let's just take him. The benefits and the curse of gambling on upside. When it hits, it hits so big. Um, and obviously, it, it, his issues were never on the field. Like, superstar on some of the greatest defenses we've seen um, in the last 20 years in college football and just, like, dominating the NFL right off the bat. I mean, we were talking about this guy as, like, a top three pick before that whole situation went down uh, before the draft. Devon Witherspoon has been insanely impressive to me. Um, Yeah. I go back to that, like, primetime game early in the season. I think it was against the Giants where he had, like, an interception, like two sacks, was just like making plays all over the field. Um, his team stats are pretty out of control, honestly. 65 tackles, three sacks, 16 passes defensed. Insane. Insane. Come on, man. Yeah, uh, he's a player, man. And another guy that fits that, like, bet on competitiveness. Bet on competitiveness. Bet on, like, dogs, as Jake was saying. Brian Branch kind of fits that, too. That Lions defense a bit shaky, but he has really shined um, another Alabama kid. And I mean, you know, these slot nickel defenders are always the way the NFL values them is really interesting. And we've seen Jaquan McMillan be just a superstar for the Broncos this season and how that matters. But you also like those guys don't always get paid the way they should. So Brian Branch will be really interesting to monitor throughout the rest of his rookie contract for me. Only other one I'd mention is Ivan Pace Jr. You guys remember him, the Cincinnati linebacker? Um, he goes undrafted, just a like a, a guy who was all over the field, a little undersized, but you know, sideline to sideline, downhill. And he's doing his thing for the Minnesota Vikings. He looks like he's here to stay. I love that. Yeah, he's had a great year. Yeah. And I mean, that's a... I always have such a hard time with really good defenses. And sometimes I'll, I'll just be stacking my board. And it's like, man, I just know six of these Georgia guys aren't going to hit. You know, like... I, it's too many six in my top 65 or same with Bama or Michigan's having a big year, Ohio state or that Cincy defense was kind of the same, right? Mije Sanders, sauce Gardner. There was the other cornerback. We like the safeties. Yeah. But then (laughs) where did a guy like Ivan pace fit? And, uh, turns out he fit just fine. Um, and he's, uh, he's going to make a long career out of it. And with linebackers like running backs, oftentimes you can wait and find some pretty solid guys as the Broncos' uh, middle linebacking core has shown this season. Um, I will not stand for uh, for Alex Singleton's slander. I think he's been amazing this year. Uh, advanced stats be damned. He's been He's one of those you got to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Justin's right. You got to watch him. Like, the way he affects the game, the way he just, like, the tenacity he plays with, like, how can you not love it? 100%. How can you not love having the best job gloves in the world is another thing I would ask. Because Hestro job gloves, they are tippy-top 
quality, man. Uh, they only make gloves. They are specialized in that. And we just got to stop doing the thing that I do, pair of gloves in every car, pair of gloves in every jacket. And next thing you know, you're raking uh, the lawn, you're scraping your windshield, and you're ruining your nice wool cutoff gloves that grandma knitted for you in 2009. Or you're messing up the nice leather gloves that mom got you when she was a submarine in Italy. Enough is enough. Hestra job gloves are here to repair that. Take care of you. They're comfy, great dexterity, warm. What more could you ask? I mean, these I'm telling you, man, high end, tippy top. And then the reverse is not true because with Hestra, with that dexterity, the warm, comfy gloves, guess what? You can tailgate. You can have fun out and about. You can use those in different situations. So there you go. Hestrajob.us. Go to their website. Again, Hestrajob.us. Make a purchase using our code job. That's right, baby. And if uh, anyone's looking to supply their team with high-quality work gloves at a bulk rate, you can email Josh Jacobson at josh at hestrausa.com. After you get done raking your leaves or, I don't know, wiping your windshield, or maybe, you know, you can get yourself a, a nice little treat with our friends at High Plains Strains. Maybe you need to uh, smoke your feelings away after ruining those nice hand-knitted gloves that Grandma gave you. Whatever you're into, High Plains Strains is going to have an option for you. They have some of the top quality cannabis around. You can get infused edibles, high-potency concentrates, and, of course, some of the best flour in the state. There are three High Plains Strains locations in northeastern Colorado, one in Log Lane Village, one in Garden City, one in Sedgwick. If you're out in northeastern Colorado, they are the dispensary for you. Make sure you use that code DNVR. If you go in store or order online, you're going to get access to all kinds of awesome deals, including a full ounce for 80 bucks. That's killer. You can get an eighth for 25, a mammoth one gram cartridge for 15, uh, exquisite extracts four for 40. So they've got a little bit of something for everyone. Again, make sure you use that code DNVR online or in stores to take advantage of the High Plains Strains deals. And as we get closer to January, also take advantage of their drive throughs You don't even have to get out of your car. Ooh. You can stay in your car, keep your Hefstra gloves on, yeah. steering wheel, stay nice and toasty. Shout out to the homies, High Plains Strains. Let's go. Uh, Hestra, High Plains Strains, they are homies. DAP, less so. I like I like to poke fun. I like to poke fun. These guys actually need to rub elbows with uh, AP people in press boxes, though. So I'll be a nice guy. You know, the holiday season is upon us, so I, too, can get my shit together and be a nice guy for one segment. Look, we talk so much about the Heisman. I wanted to get into the All-American Award teams um, because, you know, those matter. There's a couple questions I want to pose to you, get into some gripes, you know, the, the full thing, because we're not here to just talk quarterbacks, not here to just talk Marvin Harrison Jr. We're here to talk about all the stars from college football. Let's start here from this list, first team, and if you want, second or third team as well. Who's uh, the guy returning to school, the player returning to school? And obviously, we don't know with all of these who you're most excited to watch 
next season. Jake, get it out the way. And then if you say a local player, you need to also give us a second one. Okay. You're not just allowed to wax poetic on Travis Hunter. I mean, I was going to say, Travis is on this <laughs> list, and these cowards need to actually give him a selection at wide receiver at DB. Stop just defaulting him at all-purpose player, because he is one of the best at both of those positions. Um, <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, Ollie Gordon's amazing. He's going to be coming back next year. He's probably in the lead or one of the front runners for the Heisman for next season at this point. Yeah, Oklahoma um, so State running him. Yep. It'll be, I mean, the Big 12 is going to be fascinating, completely new conference. And he's like, him and Travis Hunter are like the two of the star-studded names you've got coming into this next year that everyone's going to have their eyes on, no doubt. Um, J. Mike, he he took the juiciest ones. He, he kind of fucked us. He put us in a rough spot right Sorry. off the bat. <laughs> Um, so, so, so who do you nominate, J. Mike? Who's your underclassman returning to school that you're most excited to watch? Uh, probably Ashton Gianti at Boise State. I think he's in the conversation for best running back in the country. I'm excited that he stayed in the G5 in the portal yeah, era. Really cool. It's tough. I mean, CSU's hot players are all getting tampered with right now. Um, it's part of the game. So it's just, it's cool to see him come back. He'd probably be my top choice. Um, but yeah, I am excited to see Travis Hunter back next year. I'll be interested to see what happens there, you know, especially if he can stay healthy, but there's a, there's a lot of good running backs coming back. Yes, there are even like a guy we really liked coming into the season, Raheem, the dream Sanders out of Arkansas. He's staying in school, transferring to South Carolina. Can you believe it? Pretty crazy. Ashton Genty, an absolute phenom, though. Gotta watch him. He's unbelievable. Great name to throw out there. Kind of a weaker um, safety group in some ways. Um, Taylor Nabin out of Minnesota is the top guy. Say that again. Tyler Nabin. Thank you. He's rowing the boat in Minnesota over there with PJ Fleck. Look for him to kind of be the top rated prospect coming into this class. He was not first team All-American by the old AP. No love for the Gophers. Malachi Starks is my nomination. Sophomore safety out of Georgia. He's been a mainstay since he was a true freshman on those super duper Georgia teams. That means he's lost one game in his entire career. Um, He's really good, man. I was surprised how much love Georgia got on some of these. And for example, how little love a Michigan got on these lists. Um, Just like, for example, Michigan center not being first or second team and Scott Van Pran, the Georgia center, getting the nod over him. I thought that was a bit of an oversight. Um, But Malachi Starks, one of those guys that I feel like definitely deserves to be on this list been one of the top underclassmen in the country for a couple seasons right now maybe not a household name yet but he should be um very complete safety this guy's going to be a pro for a long time i think um i'll also throw out uh luther burden the missouri wide receiver this guy he's been electric all year man he is sick he's one of my favorite players in the country a little small, five two hundred eight, but he's got that thick, like kind of stocky build. Um, he's just a ton of fun to watch. 
that's a great one. Um, you were talking him up a while back. Um, J. Mike Gripes, biggest gripes. Uh, Mo Camara didn't make any of the All American teams, which is wild to me given his yes. production. Um, yes. I understand it was a good year for Edge. So I think if, you know, he's not on the first team, it's kind of like Dallin Holker making the second team. You're behind Brock Bowers. You can live with that. You can live with being, you know, behind a, a Latu or, or something like that. But to have four teams and not have him get recognized when he had 14 sacks and just an insane amount of pressure, I thought that was a, a poor call. And he's been recognized by a lot of the like, you know, pro football focus and those type of organizations. But I think this is a good example of just kind of oversight with the AP. And frankly, some of these guys aren't watching as much ball as they should be. And they're just kind of following box scores and top 25 storylines and stuff like that. The tight ends, in fact, are exactly, um, they are the one, two, and three receiving yards leaders in the country just with that's what one, i mean like it was very clearly rivers. they went to football yes. reference yes. who's leading in re- total reception and yes. i mean like those are three of the best tight ends but it's like come on guys do it do a little bit of work here so very familiar names any listener of ours could probably name five of the six first second and third team edges on this list um latu's first team Second team, you've got Jonah Ellis out of Utah, who Justin's talked up, and Jared first, household names. Um, and then Chop Robinson, guy I love. And uh, Breland Trice out of Washington, who has some up and down tape sometimes. He's playing a 270, though, and he's in the backfield quite a lot. The surprise one is James Madison, and we like James Madison getting some recognition. Uh, and it's their edge rusher, Jalen Green, a fifth-year starter. He had an insane year. I mean, he had like 15 and a half sacks or something like that. So I am glad to see him get recognized. But again, is it an instance where they just went to pro football reference and were like sack leaders? Okay, first team All-American. Like, I, mm-hmm. watch, watch 12 games of Mo Camara and tell me he's not one of the top, you know, six yeah. edge rushers in the, in the country. Hey, 100%. And we've seen that local connection with the Broncos, especially in the later rounds. So if Mo is overlooked... Boy, that'd be a really nice fit in Denver. Um, Should mention Dallas Turner did make the first team as a linebacker, not as an edge rusher. Interesting call. I think he's playing hand in the ground so often that that's kind of cheating. The boys are just faces in disgust shaking their heads right now. It's just not what he plays. Like, it's not what he does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we have the same situation with the damn all pro teams, bro. It makes no sense. What are we doing? It's really bad. I know. Um, we just don't need three starting linebackers on the all anything team. What percentage of defenses in 2023 are consistently rolling three linebackers out? Like on three downs, no one. That's what I mean. Like, I mean, maybe in some weird Big Ten West games or if you're watching Army Navy or something like that, but give us the flex. Yeah, it's pretty dumb. Um, Any other gripes you have, uh, Jake, with this list? Mm, I wouldn't say true gripes, no. Yeah, Jaden Daniels, first team quarterback, Penix, second team, and then Bo Nix, third team. 
Um, I would have maybe liked to well, see Penix get the first team All American just since he didn't win the Heisman. And I just come back to the same argument yes. that Jaden Daniels lost every game that mattered. LSU is irrelevant in the the greater conversation at the end of the year. I don't have a beef with him getting the Heisman because I do think in a wonky year with the numbers he had, fine, give it to him. But I don't know. I think what Penix was able to do against that gauntlet of a schedule should have gotten a little more hardware than it did. I also think J.J. McCarthy, Michigan in general, should have had a bit more love. Um, My biggest gripe, Joe Alt, Olufashanu, first team tackles, great, great players, um, great cases for them. It's going to be a really interesting debate for offensive tackle one. I just think when we're writing the story of the college football season, Latham and what he did for Alabama, um, Fuaga and what he did for Oregon State, their right tackle, um, the left tackle for Washington, who has a tough name for me to pronounce as well. I think these guys played in bigger games um, and had bigger moments, and especially the first two I mentioned, who were second team tackles, um, were just like so defining in the identities of their squads that I would have liked to see them get a nod. Preferential, maybe, um, but I think legit. My other mini gripe is Cooper DeGene being put in the corners, and I think his impact, his biggest impact, is probably as a returner. Um, and then Kool-Aid McKinstry getting the nod at cornerback and Terry on Arnold as the utility defensive back. I would have given that to Cooper. Terry on Arnold, I mean, we were seeing this and all the boards and rankings have surpassed Kool-Aid. So, um, yeah, I just think like definitely more impactful. And then in the third team, they went with the uh, Missouri corner who had better stats. Um I'm sorry, that was the second team. Let me find the second team over here. Chris Abrams Drain, who had the better stats of the two Missouri corners, undersized Mobile, Alabama kid. They didn't go with the Rakestraw, the higher rated guy who Matt Miller just put in the first round, the other cornerback at Missouri, who is tape against LSU, spectacular, bigger, but they threw away from him, so his stats aren't as good. So which one is it? You know, are we valuing that production? And if so, Terry on Arnold should be the higher rated of the Alabama ones, or are we valuing more the tape traits, how you played, you know? Um, because uh, I don't think there's consistency in how we're analyzing the, the cornerback position. Either. Hey, nothing crazy. Best Broncos fit, uh, your, your favorite Bronco, you know, maybe not, not the obvious Jake. Um, um, let's go with, uh, someone like, um, I don't know. I'll just pick an offensive lineman. What are the best offensive linemen? Give me Cooper BB, Zach Zinter, Joe Alt. Um, just add another beast to this offensive line and let's start just mowing over people. Cooper BB is a great one. The Kansas state guard. He's been awesome. Justin. Give me Malik neighbors. I just want some speed. Mm. Love it. Yeah, that would be absolutely insane. I'll go Terry on Arnold. Um, man, that kid has just grown on me like 
Yeah, crazy. You're, you're in love, I think, man. You got a full yeah. blown crush these past couple <laughs> no, of weeks. I, I do. I, I look, man. Those are the kind of guys I I always liken it to rookie Darren Williams, R.I.P. Um, and how plain opposite of Champ Bailey was far from perfect, but just how he competed, play in, play out when the defense when the offenses were challenging him. It's always made me think that's like the ideal number two corner. Now that you have PS2 as that lockdown, finding a guy like Arnold just feels like, you know, it's the guys that, yeah, they might give up a, a smidge more from time to time, but what they make up is, uh, you know, makes up for it in spades. Um, Breck Distillery, Jake, they make up for it in spades as well. Yeah, our great friends at Breck Distillery. Um, they're most widely known for their blended bourbon whiskey. It's a high rye mash, American style whiskey. Breckenridge bourbon is one of the most highly awarded craft bourbons in the U.S. Um, not just bourbon. They've got the Broncos Blizzard. That's their new vodka commemorating the first white alternate Broncos helmet. They've got the, is it the espresso vodka? Is that what it's called too? Whatever right. it is. It's like, a, it's delicious. Um, come hang out at the DMVR bar tomorrow for the Lions game watch party. We're giving away two bottles. Um, these are just great holiday gifts for anyone. Also, we have Ricky Seltzers at the bar. Those are amazing as well. Breckenridge Distillery products are available in all 50 states. Shop your local retailer or visit BreckenridgeDistillery.com for home delivery of award-winning Breckenridge spirits. Opera anywhere. Nice. Nicely done. <laughs> Thank um, you. Thank you. We're going to talk a little college coaching carousel here. Hasn't been a super lively one. So let's start with the Thursday night matchup because Brandon Staley just got his ass fired after that performance last night. And um, sad day in Broncos country. <laughs> truly a sad day. What a legend. Um, we'll see how this impacts that second matchup against the Chargers for Denver. Um, and man, I mean, Antonio Pierce, you were hearing a lot of great stuff. It kind of on the back end for how important he was for Herm Edwards and that staff. And, you know, maybe part of some of the the trouble that program got themselves into. If I'm a college program, I'm keeping an eye on Antonio Pierce. I think he's got some juice in the NFL as well. Um, beyond that, I guess the two big hires that have made have been made so far, Mike Elko going to Texas A&M and uh, Jonathan Smith going from Oregon State to Michigan State. Jake, I'm not sure there's much juice to either of these hires. No, I mean, I love what Jonathan Smith did at Oregon I did State too. and just I how too. he built up that program, but I I just – I don't know. I feel really bad for Oregon State fans. Like this was a like famous yeah. alumni of yours that you rooted for on the field, like came home, like all this. And then it's not his fault. Like, I don't blame the guy at all. Like, how could you with just what happened to the Pac-12? Yeah. But man, that just got to sting so bad. Um, Mike Elko just uh, he doesn't excite me. I I don't under really understand. Like, we're hearing about them going for all these top names like at the top schools in college football. And then we just take Duke head coach, which I mean, credit to him. He's coached a heck of a program out there, but um, this job is, it's a pressure cooker. You're supposed to come in and win. They have had all these players enter the portal. 
Um, like I think 10 of the top guys from my greatest recruiting class ever two years ago are gone. Right. So it's, it's not the job that it used to be just even a month ago. Justin, your reads on the Mike Elko and, um, the other hire that's kind of Jonathan Smith, the Michigan state and A&M hires. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys kind of hit, hit the nail on the head there. They just, they are very uninspiring in a time when you're in a arms race. I mean, if you're Michigan state, you're trying to, you know, compete with Harbaugh and what Ohio state have got going. Penn state's got some juice. The sec is obviously always insane. I do think that Elko might be able to bring some stability just from a, like, we're not going to have so much chaos going on mm-hmm. that, that seemed to be synonymous with the, the Jimbo Fisher era. But at the same time, when you have boosters that intense, you kind of need some of that flash. And that, that was really what they craved in the first place. It just didn't quite pan out. So I, I don't know. They're, they're in such a weird spot. Um, I don't really love either of those hires. I, I have a hard time seeing Jonathan Smith replicate what he was able to do at Oregon State at Michigan State. I just think, I don't, you know, in in the Pac-12, they were kind of able to not be a Big Ten style team, but like really out physical the the rest of the league. And yeah. are you going to be able to do that against Michigan? I I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really just kind of where I'm at. I think they're really, really tough situations, man. And then, I mean, it's been a lot of, like, just hiring interims or hiring kind of in-house guys. Um, a lot of promotions internally across yeah, the country. Northwestern did that. Oregon State did that. Um, Boise, Boise did it. Did Wyoming that. did it. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the other noteworthy hires was Kurt Signetti, the James Madison coach, yeah. getting hired like at that Indiana. One. I like that one. It's got some juice. I think Tom Allen got a raw deal, man, because I still remember how incredible that Indiana season was with him two, three years ago. It felt like he had him humming. And then we kind of entered this NIL year, and I think that that changed things a little bit, as well as, you know, Michael Penix's injury. Another noteworthy hire is Manny Diaz taking over the Mike Elko spot at Duke. Diaz, the former Miami head coach and Penn State defensive coordinator. I think he's got some juice and in this era might be intriguing. Justin, you kind of, you're a little more skeptical. I like him more at Duke than I did at Miami. I think he can be a little bit just more innocuous, have a good defense. Um, I don't know. I just, Duke's such a unique program. Like one of the things I felt like he struggled with at Miami Miami is they didn't ever have a quarterback. And one of the things that Duke's had that's allowed them to be competitive, despite, you know, not having the athletes everywhere else is they've had pretty good quarterback play over the last, you know, 15, 20 years for the most part. I mean, there are stretches, you know, like any program where it dips, but I mean, every couple of years, there's a Duke quarterback in the draft conversation. And I just wonder, you know, what happens with that offense? That would be my, my big point of skepticism with him. Um, I'll bring up Willie Fritz at Houston. I think that's yeah, a solid yeah. hire. Tulane head yeah. coach takes over for Dana Holgerson um, at Houston. It's an interesting one. That's an interesting program in general to me right now. You know, mm-hmm. um, They've gone up to the Big 12. Resources are plentiful. 
big basketball school already. And I mean, you're in, gosh, the recruiting hotbed of all of America. If, if Houston, it's certainly top three, you know, as far as like directly like in-house that big metropolitan city, it's there with LA and Dallas, um, you know, Miami, like that's you, you could build a top 10 team with just guys in the in the city of Houston, just like Miami did back in the day, you know. So that's an intriguing one. Willie Fritz stunned some things at Tulane. That's another in-city program, right? Tulane's right in uh, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So culturally, that might be a more natural fit, but I'm very intrigued by what Houston's going to do. On paper, it feels good, but, you know, who knows? And, I mean, just like Signetti on paper, it looks good, but... Shit, good luck winning at Indiana right now while they just added five powerhouse uh, Big Ten teams that were all ranked last year. Like, good luck. Man. All those jobs got infinitely more challenging. Oh, so yeah. It's, it's tough. He did you, make a good hire. It didn't work out for CSU, unfortunately, but Signetti poached CSU's defensive line coach, Buddha Williams, who's uh, kind of been a, a star recruiter for CSU these last couple of years, had a and a big part of Mo Camara's ascension, you know, a guy who's developed some younger guys as well. So I like that hire. I've seen some some nice moves. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with Willie Fritz in Houston, too, though. I mean, they just joined the Big 12 this year. All the new Big 12 teams this season weren't great. And now you're going to have Utah, Colorado in there now. Arizona's not going to be a slouch when they join the Big 12 next year as well. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a tough situation there. I do think he's a great coach though. They've just, they've lost quite a few to the portal, some to see you as well. Um, and then Kurt Signetti, man, I mean, the guy's just won everywhere he's gone, but, and I love that he's coming in, you know, with this like bravado, like saying, you know, we hate Purdue, but we also hate Michigan and Ohio state too. Like, I love it, but at the same time, let's be realistic. Like you're Indiana, man. Like, I don't know. Can you really turn that team into a national title contender in the big 10, given all the other teams, Oregon, USC, like, come on. I mean, the argument is you don't have to win the league anymore in a 12-team playoff. Like, if you go second or third in the Big Ten, you just got to get in, and then anything's possible. The path is having the type of season Missouri had this year, essentially, right? Yeah. Um, in the SEC. And I think that's the hope. Many fan bases in kind of the, the sec. You're in the Power Five, but your your team's like, Shit, even the Oklahomas and Texases of the world. Like, it's like, dude, you aren't going to overtake Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I think they're on opposite sides of the spectrum. I think Texas is set up to come in and make some real noise. In the SEC, Oklahoma Mm -hmm. might be huge, huge trouble. What's what's the big one that's going to open? Is this that offseason where no big ones open? The obvious one, Jake would be if Michigan wins the natty, Harbaugh goes to the right. NFL. Um, yeah, I mean, there's always that situation that, that we've been dealing with, I don't know, the last two, three years now. So yeah, let's rev it up again. Let's rev up the Harbaugh to the NFL machine. I mean, it feels um, more know, possible think, than ever, though, right? I, does it? I don't know, man. Well, like, I mean, they. I think, he, I think it's uh, fair to say that he's pretty sick of the NCAA witch hunt. But I also think that Michigan institutionally has had his back in a way that maybe soothes some of those worries. Like, yes, 
the NCAA, they suck, but I also think a lot of these coaches recognize like how much power does the NCAA really have these days and how much longer are they even going to be in control? Like he might not, exactly. he might need to just wait like two years and then it's not going to matter anyways. Right. I just think if it wasn't Michigan, he wouldn't be coaching in college. I do and agree like, with that. If the mission is accomplished and he can go back to the NFL, which is where he ultimately wants to be, and doesn't have to deal with like crying Ryan Day's brother, uh, you know, like he loves and, beating his ass, so. you know, like that kind of shit. It might be appealing. He's also going to be a super hot commodity. I mean, if you were Michigan, what would you do in that case? I mean, what's I've the heard play? That they're gearing up to offer an extension, but I don't. After, are you talking about after Harbaugh? If Harbaugh were to leave. I mean, Sharon Moore's still there, and I think that's the easiest plug-and-play option. He's the guy who just coached the last three and led them to those wins um, when Harbaugh was suspended. But, yeah, I mean, you're kind of behind the eight. That's the yeah. the college football calendar. is tough now. Yeah. It, it's so fucked up, man. It's like, brutal. you're punished for being a better team almost sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Good. Good. Let's start leveling out the blame field. Awesome. Let's punish <laughs> I mean, let's the, the better teams. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's fucking do it. Unlimited resources and money. Yeah, let's level out the playing field some way, somehow. That's the only one, right, Justin? I'm not overlooking anything. I mean, maybe UCLA, but if you were going to fire Chip yeah. Kelly at this point, you should have already done it because you don't care about the LA Bowl. I tell you what, man. Those two LA teams going to be interesting to watch next season. Um, and honestly, I think this is kind of like every year we kind of have one big one. I think this is kind of it money wise. A&M feels like a big one, but the way that unfolded, um, I still think Stoops, brother was a better hire than Elko. I, I like that. I think I do too. I don't understand the backlash against it. A guy who's really done a great job. I mean, that's idiotic. the football programs had more success than hoops the last 10 years and more success at Kentucky than A&M has in that same division and conference. Uh, That should speak for itself right there. Um, But we go into a season next year where, as you mentioned, Chip Kelly, I think Lincoln Riley is like low-key on a scorching hot seat. Scorching. They got to figure out their quarterback ASAP, man. He better find the next Jalen Hurts and Kyler like this morning. Um. I wonder I if feel like, like Cam Ward ends up there. Like they just pay him a couple million and be, have him be a stopgap. I think it's kind of hilarious. Cam Ward is now the guy who's going to fix every powerhouse blue blood program. He's the mercenary country. for hire this offseason. Yeah, like obviously these people didn't bet on Washington State pretty consistently um, in the second half of the season the last couple of years because Cam Ward lost my ass a whole lot of money. Um, <laughs> James Franklin, scorcher. Yeah. Ryan Day. Ryan Day is on, which is insane because he's yet to lose a Big Ten game outside of Michigan. But I get it. I get How it. safe is Dabo at Clemson? Yeah, where are we at with Dabo? You know, um, Venables like they're already low key. Would you Evo you for Clemson if you were Venables and you had that opportunity? Given where oh, I know that you get the SEC money. But is it easier path forward to win in the ACC than trying to be OU in the SEC? Mm. As of now, I think yes. Like next year, yes. 
more long. I mean, OU was pretty competitive this year. I mean, there was a clear gap between like the talent that they had and like a Texas, but I mean, obviously they beat them the, the yeah. one time. No, I, I think Oklahoma is just the way better spot. Way better I mean, it's still. I mean, it's still a pretty big brand. OU football. It's the big. It's like top four brands in the country. I mean, it's the consistency of that brand has been massive. It's. I mean, I think you should see OU the way we were looking at FSU post Jimbo, where it's like, yeah, they've had two coaches in the last 40 years, competed for natties and conference championships and winning double-digit games basically every single season. Um, but as I like, love to remind people, you know, it's cool. Bama was a dynasty when when you followed the team doesn't mean shit like everyone even the best programs they're they're on for 30 years you're going to be off for 10 like it, the downfalls come and no one stays great for 100 years uh ask nebraska fans about that well i mean go back to 2003 2004 and tell us what the next 18 years are going to be like for texas it would have been like wow oh, what are you what are you smoking or usc um but yeah the brand or florida the last 10 years after their run with tebow and urban like Absolutely. So I just think this is a bit of the calm before the storm because next year the pressure is going to be on every tippy top uh, coach in the country that's not named Kirby or Nick Saban or Jim Harbaugh, who I think this season has basically bought himself like a lifetime guarantee, or Mike Norvell, who might have slipped into that tier of coach this season. Um, Who's the best college coach for the NFL not named Harbaugh boys? And we're going to wrap this up and call it a day. I was th- I was tr- trying to brainstorm names before this show. I really yeah. struggled with it because like... Yeah, last year, Lincoln Riley would have been the no-brainer, right? This isn't even a question. It's like yeah. Harbaugh, Lincoln Riley, everyone else. I actually think a guy like Mike Norvell would maybe be a good NFL coach just based on how he's built that Florida State program. I think they're pretty fundamentally sound on both sides of the football. I like what he's got going. Um, in my head, I thought some, maybe a guy like James Franklin could be better suited in the NFL the same way I okay. kind of felt um, David Shaw, you know, has always been better suited for the pro league than mm-hmm. the college league. I just especially trying to out-recruit Michigan and Ohio State. Like, I think he's a good coach. I just think yeah. there's a ceiling. But those yeah, are two like- names I'd throw out. His talents more in the X's and O's than maybe yeah. like just a pure recruiter. Um, Jake, I'll throw out Kalen DeBoer. I've been pretty impressed with what wow. he's done it with what he's done at Washington. That's a good one. That's a really great one. Hundred um, percent. I think we're overlooking Kirby Smart um, and how unique yeah. his run has been with Georgia the last several seasons. The way he can scheme and coach a defense, I mean, it, there's no arguing that. And he's got those connections, you know. Unlike Dabo's run, I love to remind people, he had some continuity with his coaching staff, especially his coordinators and high-level assistants. That's very rare for a, 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 a squad that has that consistent level of success. Um, and I think it's it's not surprising that they've fallen off as soon as those assistants finally left and took high-end coaching jobs. Kirby's done it despite that turnover. I mean, he's lost coordinators. He's lost O-line coaches. 
he's been able to um, make up for it. They've only gotten better at quarterback. He's been able to figure out some solutions at quarterback. I mean, he gives Todd Munkin a chance. Like he he already runs that kind of pro style offense and stuff. Um, and you know, aside from some off field stuff that have been issues, which hey, that's going to come in the NFL too. Seems like he's pretty good at managing his team, managing a locker, keeping them hungry three years in a row, keeping them hungry, you know, throughout this run that like, I mean, it it started before Tua was a freshman, you know, it feels like it was, it, it, it's kind of a really recent dynasty, but it's like, it's been a minute, this Kirby thing's been going at Georgia. So Kirby to me just checks off basically the boxes that Jim Harbaugh checks off and and not many other guys you can say that about in the college ranks right now. Well, Sark's in the trenches. Sark's a good one. Sark's a good one. What he showed at Texas this year um, has been really impressive. I think you just need a smidge more, uh, you know, sustained success. And I mean, Hey, how about Brian Kelly? Like I I think he's been, a name in the mix for the NFL for a while. And I've been really impressed what he's done at LSU um, in the early going, you know, and I mean, the offense has looked different from what it looked at Notre Dame. Uh, He's able to coach and recruit O-linemen, which is huge. Um, He's kind of lived up to what he said. I know people kind of snickered when he was like, I need a different caliber of athlete to do what I really want to do. Kind of proved that point this year. The offense speaks for itself. No doubt about that. So there are some guys out there. Um, I can't get yeah. over Kirby. I think that's the best answer. I think he wins in the trenches. He empowers his assistants. I think the best thing that Kirby and Saban do is delegate. But I think that Kirby does a little bit better of like empowering his assistants and not. And part of it is just there's this aura with Saban where like if you mess up and he chews at you, the camera is going to immediately cut to it. It's this big deal, even though like that's how coaching works. But I I just think that he's done a good job of hiring good people, empowering those people like Todd Monken, like Mike Bobo this year, who he basically gives full reign of the offense to. And, you know, I, I just think that's what the best coaches are able to do is, identifying what do I do best and also putting a staff together and letting them do their thing, not stepping on their toes. Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, Kirby's a really good one. I might've talked myself into Brian Kelly though. I think Kelly would be the best comparison of the one I said of the Brian Shaw example, where it's Mm -hmm. like you put that guy in a pro system with the NFL quarterback and he doesn't have to recruit and it's a level playing field. Like, he's going to do wonders schematically. I'll just say, you know, Lincoln Riley, who I've been so in love with for so many years, he's got to figure some of this stuff out because right now he's looking a lot more like a good play caller who's been able to get yeah. some is really good Is he a good, good OC or is he actually a good coach? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the way his defense has shown zero improvement, I mean zero, is really telling starting to feel like maybe he's he's a bad head coach so this season is monumental for him because and you know i named i named off all those hot seats who are you gonna find like if half of those came open who are you gonna find who are the tiers of coaches that could actually replace that most of the places you'd look is like dan lanning gap 
Oregon, DeBoer at Washington. Oh, would they want to leave now that they're in the Big Ten? Fascinating as always. It never, ever sleeps, man. Love doing this with you boys. Happy holidays to you all. Um, Might be just two-man shows the next couple weeks, but we'll be doing our thing. Don't miss out. Love y'all. Bye. Thank you.